Good job, y'all. That was wonderful. Good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you for being with us. If you have your Bible, please open to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I wonder this morning, is there anyone here who struggles with worry? I'll take it by the laughter that we have one honest person. We're about to preach on honesty, but I'll take it by the laughter that we have many who struggle with anxiety and worry. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't struggle with worry as long as I'm in control. As long as I'm in charge of every little detail, I'm just fine in life. But the problem is there's a whole lot in life that we're not in control of. Um, There's a whole lot to be anxious about. There's a whole lot of unease around us. And I thought it would get easier, but then I had children. (laughs) And I learned that when you have children, you have a whole lot more to worry about. You worry about when they're young, are are they meeting their milestones? Y'all remember that? Man, for those of you with these young children, you're going to the doctor and they're talking about milestones. Don't worry about that. Throw that stuff out of the window. But I remember you're thinking about their milestones. Then you think about the friends that they're going to have. You worry about their friends. You worry about their teachers. You worry about their relationships. You worry about just not messing them up, you know. As a parent, I don't want to mess my kids up. And so you worry about your parenting strategy. And so there's all these different ways that we worry in life. And maybe it's not your kids. Maybe it's something totally different. I've got something to show you. I'm not leaving, okay? Don't, don't worry. I, I think sometimes, sometimes worries like this, we go through life, right? And so we're going through trying to go to our job and trying to go and just live a normal life. But worry is always there, right? If you struggle with worry, you know what I'm talking about. You try to push on. Okay, some of y'all are not connecting. Hang on. Hang on a sec. You say, Case, that's not enough. Hang on a second. Some of you, you need one of these bells, right? (laughs) Because for you, it's like, man, worry is always on my mind. I don't need a little bell. I need a big bell. And there's always something for me to worry about. And there are folks right now, that's annoying, isn't it? There are folks, as you're sitting here right now this morning, your heart is heavy because you're worried about something. You're anxious about something. That there's no peace. And so what I want to look at here in our time together is a recipe for peace. Is a recipe to how we can avoid anxiety and how we can avoid worry in our lives. Because worry comes natural, peace comes from God. And so look at Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 4 and let's read together. <clears throat> says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. You'll notice he begins in verse 4, and he tells us to rejoice. Now, now that's not new, because in Philippians we are told several times to rejoice or to be joyful, but there's something different here in this context. The difference is it says rejoice in the Lord always, And again, I will say rejoice. It is that word always that makes the difference. Because every one of us in here, we know what it is to rejoice. We know what it is to rejoice when we get that job promotion, right? We know what it is to rejoice when we watch our kids play their sport and they win and we're excited about it. We know what it is to rejoice when everything in our life is on the right track. But he does not say rejoice when times are good. He does not say rejoice in good circumstances. The word in verse 4 is the word always. Rejoice always. And always signifies that we are to rejoice regardless of the circumstance. Just picture that in your mind. How do you rejoice when you get laid off from your job And you have no idea how you're going to make ends meet and provide for your family. How do you rejoice? How do you rejoice when the doctor calls you in his office and says you need to sit down because the news is not good? How do you rejoice? How do you rejoice when you look at a relationship with someone that you love and the relationship is fractured? You don't have the relationship that you long for, and it hurts, and it burns so deeply within your heart, but yet the Bible says to rejoice always. How do you rejoice when you look at your life, and your life is not on the track that you wish it was on? How do you rejoice in these negative circumstances? Because you see, it is one thing to rejoice when things are going well. We can all do that. No problem right there. But how do we rejoice always? How do you rejoice when you lost a loved one this year or last year or maybe a decade ago and it still hurts you in your heart? How do you rejoice when there's so much pain and so much anguish that we bring in this room this morning? remembering that God does not promise a life that is free of affliction and God does not promise a life that is free of difficulty. You're in Philippians 4. Go back to Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you something. Philippians chapter 3, and look at at verse 7. I think we find the key right here. He says, but whatever gain I had, this is Paul speaking, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. What is the greatest good in your life? What is that one thing that you find your hope in, that you find your joy in, that one thing that drives you? You see, I am convinced of this. 
The greatest good, the greatest joy, the greatest ambition of our life is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about avoiding hell. And I'm not talking about receiving heaven. I'm talking about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is the greatest good in our life, then everything else falls under that category. And we're able to rejoice always because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. For us to ever rejoice always, it means that he is our supreme joy. He is our supreme good. He is the one thing that we are focused on above all else. And so Paul is writing this, and he's writing, remember, from prison. And he's writing to a church who is enduring much persecution. And so the circumstances are bad from the sender, and the circumstances are bad to the receiver. And yet he says, rejoice Always. And again, I say rejoice. You know what rejoice means? Rejoice is a verb. Okay, remember that means it is action. And rejoice means to feel or to show great delight. And so he's talking to the church and he says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. You know what the problem is? There are a lot of churches and there is no rejoicing going on. There's a lot of churches and there's no smile. There's a lot of churches and there's no excitement. But here in the word it says, as believers who are headed to hell, but we have been saved through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to be excited, we're to be rejoicing always because we have God. We have the Lord, we have this relationship. But yet sometimes we look more mad and more sad and more all these other qualities that we maybe we shouldn't look so there's this, no matter what circumstance come, there's a defiant, nevertheless, in the Lord I will rejoice. Our relationship with the Lord is so central, it is so determinative that all other factors cannot shake our sense of enthusiasm in the Lord. Our rejoice in the Lord counteracts every other negative that life may throw at us. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is telling the parable of the sower. You remember? He goes out and there's some seed, and some seed falls on the path, some in the rocky soil, some among the thorns, and some on the good soil. It says that the seed that fell on the rocky soil, a plant grew up quickly, but the roots did not go down deep. And so the plant looked good on the outside, but when the sun came out with its heat, you remember what happened to that plant? It withered away, it scorched. And so the disciples asked Jesus, they said, what does that mean about the plant and the rocky soil? He says, these are the ones who heard the word with joy. That joy comes out again. They heard the word with joy. Everything was looking good in their life. But on the first moment of distress, the first moment of persecution, the first moment of hardship, they said, I'm out of here, and they ran away. You see, it is one thing to rejoice when God is blessing you in all the ways that you want to be blessed, but the sign of a true believer is one who will rejoice in the good times, but they will also rejoice in the difficult times. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. That's where we find our rejoicing. And then in verse 5 it says, for the Lord is at hand. You know what that means? Here's what it means. No matter what struggle that you're facing, 
and I'm not trying to minimize any pain this morning, but no matter what pain you are facing this morning, it is temporal. Do you get that? It is not eternal, it is temporal. There is nothing as believers that we face in this life There is no hardship, there is no circumstance, and there is no difficulty that is eternal. And so he's writing this group, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, the Lord is at hand. Just persevere till the end. What are you going through? Maybe there's a disease. Maybe there's a disease that will lead to death. But when that happens, there will be this rejoicing in heaven for all of eternity. And so no matter what we face, it is temporal. And then it leads into verse 6, where he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Now, make this connection. If we are busy rejoicing, we will not have time in life to be anxious. What do you have to be anxious about? There is not one square inch of this planet that God is not present, and that God is not sovereign. If you were honest, you will realize that God has never failed you yet. God's never forsaken you. God has never left you. Now, he might not have done things the way you would have done things, but he has been right with you all along the road. And so if the phone rings this afternoon and it is the worst news you can imagine, what do you have to be anxious about because you know that God is in control? Listen to me. Worry is a choice and it is a choice of distrust and worry never helps. Who has found any good from worry? There is no good in worry. It's like running on a treadmill. You can run and you can get worn out, but you don't go anywhere. That's what worry does for our life. Jesus says this, which one of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? But it's so hard not to be anxious, isn't it? For me, it's tough. Last week, you say, where did this sermon come from? Things have been a little busy around here lately with Brother Charles' surgery and his recovery. And so I found myself doing a little more than usual and having to really manage my time. And so last Sunday, you know, we, we preached and did all the service here. And then we went to Mason Creek and we had the picnic and we had volleyball. And uh, Mr. Willie Fields played a great baseball game. And so we were just having a good time. And then finally about 11.15 that night, I got in bed. And Brittany, it does not take her long to fall asleep. And so I'm listening to her sleep. She doesn't snore, but I'm listening listening to her sleep. And so I get my Bible, and I'm I'm flipping through because I'm thinking, this is a short week, it's a holiday week, and I've got to preach Sunday night. I've got to get uh, some stuff done. I've got to preach Sunday morning. I've got to preach Sunday night. I've got to get these sermons done. I have no idea where I'm going. And so I'm in one of those moments to where I'm praying and I'm flipping and I'm thinking, God, you got to show me something here. And if I'm honest with you, I'm getting a little concerned with it. Let me just be honest. I'm getting worried about it. Lord, I've got a lot to do. I need a plan. God, you've got to show me something. And so I'm flipping and I'm thinking and I'm meditating. And then I come to this text in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. 
But in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And it's like the Lord said, maybe it's not for them, but get a sermon together for you because this is what you need. And so I'm preaching to myself this morning to realize that God is the one who is in control. He is in control of our struggles. He is in control of your your job stress. He's in control of your family stress. There's nothing that you will face today, tomorrow, this week, next year, in your entire lifetime in which God is not in control of. And so he writes this group and they have reasons to be concerned. There is persecution coming their way. And so he writes, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Here's the question, where do you draw the line between worry and responsibility? Where do you draw the line between concern and worry? Here's what I believe. I believe concern or responsibility takes action for what you can control. There are things that we need to get involved in, we need to work, it needs to stir up within our heart, and we need to be people of action. But I don't know about you, but when I'm worrying, I'm usually worrying about something that I have no control over. And I will focus on this area in which I have have no power to make a change in the outcome. You see, when we live with anxiety about the future, we communicate that God is not worthy of our trust. We don't have to fret over the future because we know that he holds it in his hands. We don't have to be concerned about where we're heading because he is the one that is charting the course. And you know where a life that is free of worry comes from? It comes from faith. It comes from faith that says, God, I trust you. And so what I want to challenge you to do is this. You say, well, that's all good, but I still struggle with worry. How do I quit? How do I stop? Good question. I'm glad you asked that question. I want to challenge you with taking it to God. Here's what he said. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Prayer is the discipline that we take our anxieties to God. And you'll notice he doesn't just say prayer, he says supplication. Do you know what a supplication is? A supplication is one of these, Lord, would you help me prayers. You ever pray like that? Lord, I'm in a bad spot, I don't know what to do, and so God, I need you. Supplication is one of these prayers where we literally are begging and we're asking and we are requesting from God. It does not minimize the problem, but it does realize the one who is in control. It says, I am nothing, I have no power, but God, you are everything and you have full power. Now you'll notice this, prayer and worry are of the same essence. They are both a rehearsing of circumstances. They are both a a mulling over of the details. They are both this mental and emotional chewing. But in worry, there is no connection, there is no traction, and there is no relational receiver. In worry, it's like we're just spinning our wheels and we're not getting anywhere. And so he says, when you are anxious, 
pray with supplications and take them before God. And here's the good part. Let God worry about it. Okay? That's what Martin Luther says. He says, pray and let God worry. I like that. Isn't that good? But the problem for us is many times we'll take something to God, but then we'll bring it back. Y'all remember when I was a kid, yo-yos were a big thing. Anybody remember playing with a yo-yo? We loved yo-yos. And so one day I was looking on Amazon, and I saw this yo-yo, and I thought, man, my boys would love a good yo-yo. Bought it for them. They played with it for about three minutes, and then they were done with it. And so what I'll do, I'll go around the house, and I'll just be playing with my yo-yo. You know, and so go, and there's something fun about a yo-yo. But imagine this is, this is whatever problem you've got, okay? So I've got this relational problem. I've done all that I can do, all that I can do. And I am just spent. I mean, it is, it is chewing me up on the inside. And so what we do often is we go to the Lord and we say, God, I've done everything I know to do. God, you're the one in control. You're the one with the power. And so, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this problem to you. Lord, would you take this problem? Would you work in a mighty way? Would you show your goodness? God, I'm done with it because my power is so limited, and I'm giving it to you, God. So here you go, God. And then we take it with us. Lord, I've got this problem at my job. I'm doing all I can. So, Lord, would you take this problem? Would you work it out? God, I'm leaving it right here. And then we, we take it back with us. The hard part is leaving it with God. I'm a little disappointed, y'all, because I really wanted to use a boomerang. I thought that would be fun. <clears throat> but I was practicing this week, and it just wasn't coming back to me. And so, you know, I was throwing. It wasn't coming back. And so a yo-yo is what we got. But here's the main point. When we take something to God, we've got to leave it with God. That is done in faith, and it's done in trust. When we say, God, I trust you, but I've got to do my thing over here, then we're saying, God, you're not worthy of my trust. God, you're not worthy of my praise. God, you cannot handle this situation. You say, well, give me an example of that. Do you remember when Jesus was coming up? to his arrest and his torture and his execution and his crucifixion. He had so much upon him. The Bible talks about him sweating droplets of blood. But do you remember what Jesus did? He did not sit on the ground and call his friends around and sit around and worry about it. He didn't have a little pity party. Remember what he did? He went to the Father and he prayed. Three times he prayed. And essentially he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let's find that way. Lord, I, I need help here. Is there any other way? I'm going through this difficult time. The circumstances are not good. Is there any other option? Is there any other way? He's being honest before God. And then he says this, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You want to see an example of Philippians 4? That's it. You've got this struggle, whatever struggle you've got, and you take it to the Lord. You say, Lord, I am, I'm struggling right now. There's this situation, and it is chewing me up from the inside out. I need your help. If there's any other way, good, but I want your will to be done, and so then I'm going to trust you. And remember what Jesus did next? After he prayed, he was in line with the will of the Father, and he did exactly what the Father led him to do. But first, he went to the Father. And so I just want to challenge you. If there's something that you're concerned with this morning, if there's something you're worried about this morning, give it to the Lord. That's step one. But there's also another step. You'll notice it says with thanksgiving. 
Go to the Lord, but with this thanksgiving in your heart, this humble thank you, Lord, for listening to me. I wonder this morning, what do you have to be thankful for in your life? If we just took a few minutes and you just began to count your blessings, name them one by one, what do you have to be thankful for? You know what helps me when I face anxiety? I begin to think about God, and I begin to think about how good God has been to me. I can begin to think about the family I was brought up in. I can think about the, the wonderful wife that God has blessed me with that I surely don't deserve. I can think about the, the three children, Mason, Maddox, and Kason, and God has blessed me with these beautiful, wonderful children. I can think about the way that God has led my family right here with you. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be a part of, of this church. That's the blessing of God. God has been good to me. God has been good to my family. Who am I to think that God will not be good today and tomorrow and in the future? You see, it's when we begin to be thankful and realize the blessings of God that we have the power to live in faith for the future. And so he says in verse 6, And everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be, known, be made known to God. And so we fill up the space where anxiety grows with these lowly help me prayers that are full of thanksgiving for God's goodness and his gifts and his gospel. And so no matter what we face in life, there is this I'm at peace because of it. In fact, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. It kind of wraps it up for us. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't you want peace in your life? And when you think about life, don't you want this peace? And notice he says this, peace is from God. Listen, money will not bring peace in your life. Success at your job, it will not bring peace in your life. A good marriage and good relationships, it will not bring peace in your life. The only place that peace comes from is from God. But you'll also see that he says this. He says, the peace which surpasses all understanding. The peace which transcends our understanding. He's talking about a peace that the world does not get and that the world does not understand. He's talking about a peace that goes beyond human reasoning. Here's what he's talking about. When you're facing a difficulty in your life and the world says you ought to be distraught over it, you ought to be upset over it, but because you know God, you're at peace, the world has no idea talking to someone this week and they were uh, they were diagnosed with cancer but yet she had a peace you know where peace comes from in a situation like that it comes from God who's going to be at peace when they hear the word cancer only those who trust God who's going to be at peace in the midst of so much turmoil only those who find their peace in God John Calvin says this, he says, Nothing is more foreign to the human mind than to hope and the depth of despair and the depth of poverty to see riches and in the depth of weakness not to give in. There's something powerful that points to the Lord when we are a people who trust 
guide. Last thing I want you to see is in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here's what, what I find I struggle with. When I have an anxiety in my life, you know what I do? I focus on it. And it's all I can think about. I remember when Maddox was six months old. We went to the doctor, and you know when they're, they're small, they get that little tape, and they begin to measure their length, and they get their weight, and then they measure their head also. And so the doc said, hmm, his head sure is growing fast. And I thought, well, okay, he's got a big head. Thanks, doc. He said, well, no, that, that could be a problem. He said, it could be what's called hydrocephalus. I said, well, doc, what does that mean? He said, well, it, it means that there's water getting into the, the brain area, and it's swelling, and it's pushing out on the, the skull, the head. So well, that doesn't sound good. He said, well, we'll just do a scan, and we'll see, and we'll know for sure. And so about a week and a half later, we had uh, his scan. You know what I did for that week and a half? I went to uh, Dr. Google MD. You ever go there? <laughs> and I read everything that has ever been written on hydrocephalus. When I was laying in bed and I was trying to go to sleep and I couldn't, I'd pull out the tablet and I would be researching. It's just all I could think about. It, it drove me, and honestly, it drove me nuts. But it, it consumed me. It is what, what drove me. I, couldn't, I could not just get by in life because I was focused so much on what could be, what might be. And it ended up we went to the appointment. Everything was fine. The kid's just smart. He's got a big brain. What can I say? <laughs> and so there's a week and a half of my life that was wasted because I was focused on the negatives and I was focused on the what ifs when I should have been at peace because God is in control no matter what. You see, anxious Christians are a bad advertisement for the God of peace. At that time in my life, I was a bad advertisement of the God of peace because I talked about it, I talked about faith, I talked about how big my God is, but when it actually came down to my life, I was not trusting God. And I think there's probably a lot of that in this room. We come on Sundays and we talk about how, how great God is, how powerful God is, how big God is, but when we face a problem in life, we are worried to death about it. So I just want to challenge you with this. If you struggle with worry, if you struggle with anxiety, we're told the recipe to get out of it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, bring your request to God. And then the peace of God, which the world has no idea of, will come into your heart. He'll guard your heart and your mind. You'll see mentioned in the verse, it talks about your heart and your mind. It's talking about your whole body, your whole life, your whole existence will live in this peace. I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about your life. I wonder what you're concerned with this morning. Maybe it's a health problem, a relationship problem, a marriage problem, a relationship problem, a job problem. There's problems all around. But maybe the Lord is leading you, leading you to follow his word and to give it to him, to trust him and to give it over. 
You know what Jesus says? This is what Jesus says. He says, this is what I tell you, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Is not life more than food in your body, more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So do not worry about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Maybe this morning there's a concern that you need to leave with the Lord. You can do that where you are. You can come to an altar. But I pray that you're able to leave this place this morning with a freedom. You're able to leave this place free of bondage because you know that God is good and you know that God is in control. That there's no more worry. There's no more anxiety, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That the world will see us and they will see men and women of peace that comes only from God. I don't know how you need to respond, but I pray that you'll be obedient. Maybe the Lord's leading you to a, a new church home to join this church. We'd love that. Maybe you've never met the God of peace, and he's calling you to a relationship this morning. I pray that you'll be faithful, that you'll be obedient. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. Lord, I pray that we will be a people of peace, that we will honor you, that we will glorify you, God, that we will trust you. Lord, in the good times in life and in the difficult times, God, that we will rejoice. We will rejoice always. Lord, have your will in our life. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.